Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the doggers farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing pipes? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. Today where I'm recording this podcast, it is bucketing down rain. And so I have to apologise in advance. Some of the audio is not fantastic. But please bear with us because the content is on point. What we're going to be doing today is I'm going to be teaming up with a trade business coach and talking about the risks financially and from a contract risk perspective of growing your business and growing your revenue without the belts and braces implementation of systems and strategy and understanding profit margins and choosing your customers and knowing what your price point is at. And this is one area that I know constantly comes up with my clients and with subcontractors when we're talking in networking events and things like that, where they feel like there's only one way for them to go in terms of making their business bigger. Uh, And sometimes they can't correlate that directly back to, well, what is that going to mean for me in terms of the type of business that I've got, my quality of life, uh, the quality of life of my staff and the other people involved in my business, and also how much risk am I taking on when I do that? So, Without further ado, I'm going to introduce Adam Barnard of Tactics Business Coaching, but I'm going to let Adam tell you about his background himself, because I think it speaks volumes in terms of when you can hear from the horse's mouth, what their uh, up and coming in the construction industry path has been. So listen in, I will check back in at the end of the podcast uh, to let you know how you can get in contact with Adam. So Adam Barnard, welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank Very you. welcome. Thank you for making the time. I know you're absolutely strapped like the rest of us in the world. So I'm always grateful uh, for you guys taking the time to give our listeners something valuable. Um, I have to confess, though, when I first heard about trade business coaches and I heard about coaching and everything, I actually thought that you guys were selling like magic fairy dust and I didn't really believe in the business model. But I have come a long way with that in the last couple of years and there is a really valuable insight that I think that we can give our listeners in terms of contract risk and growing your revenue and price wars and I know that you see an element of this uh, with your coaching that you know you can really bring to the table but I also see it from a contract perspective when it goes bad at the other end Mm. so that was really where I was coming from with um, trying to hunt you down and harass you to be on my podcast uh so it is a pretty dry topic uh but even just from our conversations today i know that we're going to have a good old yarn about it yeah looking forward to it absolutely so one of the things that my listeners need to know most about you is your background in construction because this is what i think makes you the guy to go to for this yeah well i guess to to your point about the fairy dust and you know Bluff, I guess, as we we sort of refer to it as it's um, I was in the exact same position. You know, I thought, how can someone be helping me when they're not even doing what I'm trying to do in, in front of me at the moment? And 
you know, I was in that that exact position once upon a time, and I pushed it away. And look, looking back on it, it was um, a bit of a mistake. But it's for my for myself to sort of get to this point. It was um, I started out doing my trading concrete. I was terrible at it, but I sort of stayed the course, and and it was a really good experience. I don't know if anyone can see my hands, but they they don't look like concreters. I then went um, and just continued working into roles of project management and um, in the commercial space and things around that sort of 50 to 100 million mark was sort of where I sat for a few years. Um, I then went and did the university thing. And for someone who was never an academic, I was um, a bit shocked in myself for doing that, but I did my master's in project management. And it was from there when I started to build houses and, and go down that path and um, and sort of fast forward a few years after that, we um, I was looking after a company that had 30 locations around Australia. And it was that stage where I went from, I want to build for the rest of my life to, I just thoroughly enjoy the, I guess, the concept of how to do the business side. And it was a bit of a natural progression where I had to learn how to operate a, an office where I literally couldn't go there unless I jumped on a plane in a car. And so I just had no choice. And so trying to operate a business from afar is, is really I had no option other than to know how to do it properly and 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 that's I guess where the lessons came and um, you know most people that have a business now in, in construction if they didn't operate or do the doing that they do every day they really wouldn't have much of a business left in um you know in a pretty short period of time so I then started just to have mates and just sort of people around me saying hey can you give me a hand and and yeah. sort of what about this and what about that and and before you knew it I just sort of said hey let's let's do this full time and so building is very close to, you know, to who I am and it's something that I'm part of and, and I have a granny flat business which um, which operates without me and, it, and it's something that um, I'll continue to do. But I just have such a passion, so much greater than building um, where I just want to work with with guys that are putting in, a, I guess, a good slog and, and some hard yards. But the element of the business side is like trying to go from a, a, a concrete art to a carpenter and think you're going to be good at both. Yeah. You just there's a skill set that you literally just if you don't know it you're gonna struggle. It's it's really that simple and and that's really where I come in. It's it's, it's what I know and and what I've done and and if I can sort of pass that on as best I can, then um I guess that's sort of my mission for what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. No, that is um that is golden. And I I didn't even remember that you used to do concreting. So that's um that's amazing to hear that you've been on the tools. You've been to business school, um, learn about project management principles, but then you went out and you were helping develop and grow a company that had 30 locations. And even if subbies think that they are not running a remote uh, business, every site is remote. You just can't be everywhere at once. And it's just intrinsic, I think, to absolutely every element. I know that with my clients, things will go wrong in their businesses and they'll ask me about them and I can't answer them. So a really good example is I constantly have clients saying to me, we know that there's like this um, hump in the middle of your revenue turnover where you, you have to take a quantum leap to get over it. Otherwise you just won't make any money. And they always look at me as if they expect me to tell them what it is. And this is the thing where I've realized uh, doing what I do with contracts and getting people paid and debt recovery and talking to them about disputes. And, you know, they're constantly talking to me about price wars, that there is such a space for coaching for trade businesses. And it's not a soft skill. It's if you've got somebody who knows that trade, that's, that's the key. Yeah. And look, there's, there's a reason why the, the softer or, or the fluffy persona of coaching exists. And that's because there is more of that out there than there isn't. And that's just the reality of it. And to me, coaching is 
um, not typically just asking lots of questions and sort of giving you, making things look pretty. It's like a tangible element of there's things that need to be known and I'll sort of give the answer. <laughs> and it's a balance between the coaching and the consulting part, which, you know, just has to be done, you know, and it's a, it's just a scary thought to me when there's so many good operators that are ethical and they genuinely mean well, but they are destined to have like their rear end bitten if they don't <laughs> learn this stuff. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just, a, a, just, there's so much there that can make life easy. And, um, but if you don't know it, you don't know it, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's that old saying, um, so many of my clients say to me, I'm too busy for coaching. I don't want to get a coach and then not turn up and do, or not do my homework. And I'm like, that is the sign that you need a coach. Like <laughs> that's like walking around with a broken leg saying, I can't, don't have time to go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And look, it's the, not that it's just coaching to me, isn't about necessarily, Hey, you've got to fit in another five hours. It's about taking what you already have and making immediate impact based on the right data and the right things so that, you, you get small wins. Like if you don't have five hours free and a coach says, Hey, let's just, you need to commit five hours to me. Like that just is not makes no sense. So it's about in the time that you've got, how do you do bits of that tighter and better and more profitable and in a systemized way to then free up your time. So that's where it comes from. And so, I mean, it's the solution can't be give me five more hours if you don't have them. <laughs> yeah. So it's about how do you get more growth and more sort of, I guess, forward movement out of what you're currently doing in a better way yeah definitely so there's some really good synergies um, in terms of the strategies that you can put in place with people in terms of uh, growing your revenue and from my perspective with my little two bobs worth that I always like to put in with the contract risk is that this is like a double whammy so for our listeners out there who are sick to death of hearing me lecture them about contract risk and the boogeyman if I can't get you to listen to me about that, then I want them to listen to you about how they can have more money in their pocket, but kill two birds with one stone. So yeah. that's really where I think we can add value um, talking to each other about this topic. And in terms of where I've come from with these pillars of pain points that these subbies are having with your, you know, your contract risk and where that comes from is I'm constantly seeing business coaches all over the internet everywhere just talking about growing revenue and it's just, it really concerns me that there are so many subbies out there who are going along with it to grow their revenue, but they're missing entirely the point that they've got to sign more contracts more frequently or they've got to sign bigger and scary contracts. And the big scary contracts are always with new customers who they haven't tested before. And so I was just really keen to see, is that your... What, what do you think that subbies are really worried about when they come and they get a coach? Um, is it going to work? Is it going <laughs> to work? And the, the thing is where, I guess, looking at getting an, and engaging a coach, there's you're essentially buying the unknown and you're putting trust in someone you've possibly just met. And that's where you need to like really get into the teeth of examples and just actually like solution-based, not just, Build, I guess just being honest, a lot of coaches will bring up the fear of, you know, what the problem is. And then, hey, if you don't fix that, you might end up, you know, I guess going broke or, you know, you, your wife might have to go back to work or your husband. And it's very much like a, let's fix that. And then you start. Whereas for me, it's a, I need to know I can help. So it's let's unravel like the problem. Let me show you how we'd fix it. And if you believe that will, would fix the problem, then let's go for it. But if, 
if we go through all of that and you still don't quite see, um, you know, how that would be a solution, then we're just not the right fit. But you've got to get the right, you know, the right person for you. And um, it's a little bit like if you're trying to employ or recruit another tradesman or someone on your team, you know, don't sort of just, you can't take it lightly. The right person will change your life. The wrong person will make your life hell. And it's just the the simplicity of that is, is absolutely correct. So don't fluff over just if you're ever going to engage someone, it has to be the right fit. Yeah, I've certainly made that mistake in the past, um, myself even, and I know that it's in every single business the same uh, problem arises. But um, to your credit, the first time I ever spoke to you, I remember uh, sort of, you know, testing the waters with you about that, you know, how can you have all these clients coming to you and you're going to grow their revenue uh, do you realise they're also growing your risk? And I remember calling you out on it saying, Adam, what are you doing to help your clients with that? And it was music to my ears to hear that you actually had a better belts and braces strategy. Can you give us some more details about that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the concerns we see is your revenue and turnover is, I guess, your ego. <laughs> and what you're actually making and hanging on to at the end of the day is really what you're in the business to, you know, for. So what you end up retaining is the number we need to pay more attention to. And a concerning question that we always, the answer to it is, you know, if, if I ask what net profit do you truly want out of your business and what turnover do you need to produce to create that? I often, there's no answer. So if we simplify it and strip it back, we're in business to create profit. But then I ask the question, what profit do you need and what turnover do you need require to achieve that? And we don't know the answer. Like that's got to be like, and then expect the result to be good. Like it's just not going to happen. And it's a little bit like trying to, you know, run the hundred meters in the Olympics. And you think it's 20 seconds is going to, is going to win your goal. And you train for 20 seconds for four years. And then you get there and realize it's like nine or whatever it is. All you've done is you just don't even realize what you need to be aiming for. And the, the, the uh, margins and what most builders and tradesmen make out of their work that they're doing is never, to be honest, in any anyone that we've ever worked with, straight off the bat, it's never been what it should be. Yeah. And it might be for periods, but over the long haul, it's it's not. And to think about trying to increase your revenue and the amount of work you take on, which increases your risk, before trying to get the profit that you retain in the work that you've got, like that's a really big alarm bell. So if you can get the flow and the structure correct so that when you produce X turnover, it gives you Y profit, then that's the right formula and it's how to then then scale from there. So it's not that you pick one or the other, but if your profit out of what you're already doing is not right and then and you try to then scale, you're essentially just trying to make more mistakes on a bigger scale and quicker. And yeah. Yeah, that's exactly my concern is that you are exponentially um, growing your mistakes. You're still only taking the shitty profit that you had when you were small. But now you're signing up to contracts that are business sinkers and some of the provisions in these contracts, just one one page, you know, is enough. And I know that subbies have this mental barrier of going, well, you know, the builder won't let me negotiate and things like that. And one of the things that I learned from getting coaching a few years ago is the concept of price transition shock. And so when you put your price up and you or you are more selective about who you work for, uh, all of a sudden your life actually gets so much easier. People are more engaged, more willing to work with you. And oftentimes you think it's got to be the opposite. Hey, I've got to be the cheapest guy to get more revenue, don't I? Mm. It's just, 
like again, if you strip it all the way back and say we're in this to make profit, but our strategy to get work is to reduce the profit as our first point of call, like that's, and then expect to then win. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Like it's a, like it's, and and I understand that the the nature of the industry requires some of that to actually happen, but where it, there's there's a harder road where it takes work and it takes learning and it takes new strategy to not have that be the problem, but if we don't, I guess we've got to choose between, are we more frustrated with having to reduce our price to get work over the road ahead to learn how to actually do it in a better manner so we don't have to be in that situation all the time. And and that's the decision, you know, subbies and, and builders have to face. It's a, which one's more painful? <laughs> Going through the unknown or like putting up with not, like doing a lot of work without without much money. And, and you know, it's a, I guess it's, it's easy to say from the outside in, but you got to ask yourself, is there someone out there that has got the same business and it's doing what you want yours to do? And if the answer is yes to that, then the question should be, well, how? <laughs> so if you're the, if everyone is exactly like you and no one's got it how you want it, then maybe it's the wrong trade or the wrong industry. But the reality is that's just not the case. Someone is figuring it out. So they know something that you don't. And the answer isn't just relationships. <laughs> I promise you that because that's what most people say to me. Well, they know Joe Blow and that's why. I promise you it's not that. It helps, but it's not the only thing. Yeah, relationships are probably the biggest thorn in my side. Um, it's the biggest swear word you can make in a consultation with me is that I won't read my contract. I won't put in written variations. I'll start on site without a contract. I'll do variation work without having it signed off. I'm not going to stick in any extensions of time, but I'm just going to overlook the fact that this builder's got 25 grand a day LDs written into the contract. And then I'm going to rely on my relationship to get paid. And then at the end of the job, the CA that you had the handshake deal with is into the wind because the builder has got bigger problems than you think. And it's just, I just can't stress enough how many times in a row again and again and again, it's the same problem. And it's just to me, you've got to start thinking differently about the way that you're choosing who you're working with. And if that means you don't win some work, you don't win the work, but hey, you dodged the bullet. <laughs> it was yeah. never going to be a win. Absolutely. And and look, what what shocks every subcontractor we ever work with is when they actually push forward some some like, no, we're not accepting that or hey, can you like can we make this a bit more fair and reasonable? The reaction is often quite good. But if you don't even ask and you don't have to be demanding, it's just that, hey, what about this? Let them say no, but at least always have a crack at the question. And I only know this very well because I used to be a project manager for a, a larger construction company and I was the guy on the other end. So if I, I, I know what they're thinking, and, but very few of us even ask the question. And the issue we see time and time again is that um, subcontractors and builders don't put the energy required to have enough opportunity sitting there. So if we are constantly sitting around, this is the only, you know, the only guys we get work from and we need to save that relationship. And if I don't say yes, then, you know, what do we do for work? The solution to that can't be like, I'm going to become a better negotiator and like be witty with my words or that's not how it works. It's that you don't have enough opportunity. So the solution to this problem is not that it's going to go away. It's being able to say, well, take your job and give it to someone else. That's okay. But this, the way you can do that is only by getting the system correct and consistent around how you attract opportunity and how you put your business forward to actually be able to take advantage of it. 
And that takes a system, a process and training to be able to do that. And that is the true solution to the problem because you're never going to get rid of a builder saying you need to go cheaper. <laughs> like no. That's just not ever going to happen. So if they're the only ones that are giving you the majority of your work, you don't have much of a choice. Yeah. So you need to create the choice by being able to say no and then go and find one that won't, won't ask the question. But again, we can't, and this is me being a bit ruthless on it. I say to my clients, don't come to me and complain that they're asking you for a cheaper price. That's their job. They're going to do it again and again and again. If you truly are frustrated with this problem, then let's work out how to attract more opportunity. But if you don't want to do that work to create that, which creates your freedom, you deserve to like be in that position because the solution again is a, is a not, not necessarily a tough road. It's just new stuff. You know, being a plumber, if you're a plumber is easy. Being a chippy, if you're a plumber is hard work, <laughs> but it's just going to take some learning and time. But it's part of what makes a business work really well is getting each of the cogs correct. And um, the upside is the answer is literally there. <laughs> It's just whether you're looking to go the path to actually find the answer and, and implement. Yeah, I think sometimes we all have this um, innate imposter syndrome where we're going, will someone really pay me that to do that? Do I deserve that much money? Uh, and so there's that element of things. But then constantly you're sort of hearing stories and my clients are right for it and saying, oh, you know, we lost three jobs this week because these dickheads are using JobKeeper to cut their quotes and, you know, what are we going to do? We're, now we're kicking around looking for work and things like that. And I think it is a real fear for subbies in going, well, what happens if I'm the only one that does this? And what I sort of think in terms of when you look at it from a contract perspective, well, you can choose to do exactly what you're doing now and nothing will change. You can put your prices down and see how long you last. You'll be one of those guys who walk into the fan or you can put your prices up and there might be a little bit of pushback, but then you've got to wonder what is the quality of the client that I've got? And it's exactly the same with the contracting. If you get a new client and they give you a big scary contract and you just close your eyes and sign it and go, yes, we've got the revenue, right? What happens is next time they give you the next job and you say, oh, no, actually, now we've got systems in place and now we want to have all these changes. They say, well, you signed the last one. And so many of my clients go, oh, yeah, but we've got the relationship. I'm like, no, you don't have the relationship with the builder. You've got the relationship with the staff member and that's not their money. So <laughs> it just, um, you know, it's so incredulous for us, I guess, because you and I sort of see the constant failing end of it. Um, but there really does need to be a leap of faith in terms of subbies who are wanting to break apart from the pack. And there really is that point of going, oh, if we're the only one, we're not going to have work for a period of time. So what do we do then? Mm. Um, one of the things I was going to say to you as well, Adam, is I know 12 months ago, if you look at our industry and we were sort of, I think we're just about to have Queensland's first lockdown and everyone was panicking going, oh, you know, what are we going to do to win work and everything? There was sort of two reactions that I saw with my clients. Some of them just went into hibernation and went, this is going to be bad. And just sort of, you know, went, radio, we'll take it bad. And then some of them went, we need to ramp up. We need to quote more. We need to just spread our eggs out across bastard, uh, baskets and get irons in the fire. 
And it was those guys who made an absolute killing in the last 12 months who have done better than ever. But I tell you what, Adam, those guys can tell me within cents of the dollar how much their profit was last year because they've got these systems in place and they can tell you the metrics and they can say, no, I made this much. And I think that's the difference. Um, one of the things, though, obviously now we've got this all of this residential construction just going nutso with all these grants. Mm. And I sort of am saying to people, hey, now's your chance. Now's the time to put your prices up. But I guess what you would come back and say is, well, how do you know how much to put them up? And have you done that? Yeah, it's a good question. So there's a line between putting your prices up where it puts you out and putting pulling your prices down where it puts you in a tight position. So we need to combine the right price where it puts you in the market position and then the right volume to achieve what you want out of your business. So the mistake we see is if the volume is low, then we try to put prices up to make up for it and you lose work. Can't, that can't, can't be sustainable. Or we the market is strong and busy and we, um, and we pull our prices down to try to get the work and then it's the same recipe. We're going to end in, in hitting a wall. Like none of them end up where you are sitting in your, your like nice house and your nice car and no stress and like you've got yourself sorted in life with a business that is going to be sustainable. Neither of them. <laughs> so long term, if we go down that path consistently enough, we're not going to achieve what we want out of the business and we just sort of put our head down and keep working. So the solution's got to be the right price in the market, which is where the market sits. So that takes some investigation, but it also, I guess, is where our, our, I guess, our experience and our team come into it, where we would, there's not a chance that your business, we don't already coach or help someone doing the exact same thing and know where you should sit on, on these numbers. So understanding where it needs to sit and then understanding what volume you need to create to achieve what you're after. And then what activities need to be done to create that volume. So if I know that in the last 12 months, I've done a hundred quotes and won 10 jobs to keep the numbers easy, then I've got a 10% conversion. So if I want to win 20 jobs, I need to do 200 quotes. Pretty straightforward, right? So if then I say 200 quotes and in each month, I need to do 16 quotes, 17 quotes every month. So I go from, I want to do X turnover and let's just see how we go to if I just do 17 quotes every month, like just focus on the output, I will achieve the end result because you can't achieve money. <laughs> it's an outcome of all the outputs. So if we don't know how many quotes we need to do to simply achieve our turnover, again, like our, our approach is let's put our head down and work hard and do the right thing and expect the result. So the, those that have won and know that they're, what their profits are and, and just so, are such detailed people, it's because they have worked it back and when things got tough, they just focused on what output do we need to produce to say, to get through this instead of let's just work hard and see how we go. And going through a pandemic has just amplified that to another level where those that are on top of their activity and their output could control, control their business much better. And those that didn't, it's sort of a, let's close our eyes and see how we go approach. And it's a stressful one. <laughs> It is very stressful. And it was, um, I was on a, the, I think it was the Queensland Carpenters Facebook page the other day. And there was this discussion with all these chippies who were talking about what the going rate is for a labourer and for a chippy. And there was literally $35 an hour difference between the guy who said it was worth the most and the guy who said it was worth the least. But there was no substantiation of why or how and all of that sort of stuff. And it just made me think about 
ABN workers with what's going on with all this residential work, right? So if you're a plasterer or if you're a, say, for example, you're a plumbing company, <clears throat> well, let's use plasterers as an example because they're right for using ABN workers. Uh, so you're a plastering subcontractor, you are quoting for residential builders like, you know, Hatondo, who the hell ever else they are, and you give a fixed price to the builder. And then lo and behold, everyone is so busy. We've got a timber shortage. No one can even get stuff. There's just so much work going on in a bottleneck period of time that your ABN workers start to realise that they're worth more per hour to different guys. And so you've given a fixed quote to a builder and lo and behold, your entire team goes to work for the plasterer down the road. And that's something with, you know, this volatile sort of, economy that's going on because the construction industry uh, is 100% carrying the entire Australian economy right now uh, and property market and it just makes me think you know you've got these ABN workers who don't have to quote to win work because they've been working for you periodically on and off I just I would hate to be a subby in that space at the moment and working out what on earth to charge people yeah it's um it's, it's a really good question. And if we took away the market as it stands right now, the problem and the solution is the exact same when the market's slow, fast, no matter, no matter what it is, it's, it's the, what should we be charging and how do we keep good people and how do we make sure we're, we're um, in a profitable position? So what it needs to start with is what does your business need the rate to be? Because what we often see is, a business might have say five people or two, whatever it is, 550 or two. And they don't quite understand based on the cost to operate that business, what the rate would have to be to just cover that. And someone would say, if you're paying a trade uh, 30 bucks an hour, when you add what the true cost is, that could go up to sort of $45, $50 to the business. So if you're charging them out at 60 bucks an hour and you think that you're only paying them 30, you sit there and go, how good is this? 30 bucks an hour. And then you work for a year and then you go, hang on a sec. Why is there 10 grand extra in my bank account after all that work? That's because it didn't start from a, how, like what does the business actually cost to run? And then based on how many guys I have, what would the rate need to be for us to be in a good position? And starting there is so crucial because you need to at least be at that benchmark. And the, the, the issue we see is that, we are just going by, hey, what what can we get for our you know for our work? And no no conversation about what that is is in reference to the business itself. So if I know that I need to be charging at least sixty five dollars an hour, otherwise I'm literally not making any money. My stance on dropping that price is so much stronger when I'm talking to a builder, simply because when I hear sixty three bucks, can you do it for that? All I'm thinking about is you're asking me to work to lose money. Like, there's no way I'm going to say yes to that. But if we don't know this, you then think, oh, these guys are 30 bucks an hour, 63. Sweet. Yeah, that's fine, mate. Let's do that. And you sort of start working and, and you, you're sort of setting yourself up to fail no matter how good you are at what you do. So it needs to start with what, like it can't go below X. Otherwise, we are not going not gonna, to not gonna make it. So the second part to that is then once you know it, like what's it got to be for you to actually make some money out of this? And you have to have to at least start there. And I promise you, you'll be stronger in your stance and your negotiations when you know what your number needs to actually be. Yeah. Now, from then uh, retaining good people because they just disappear and, and sort of go off somewhere else. 
that is such a big picture conversation of like why would they people essentially in my team i always say they're either gonna they're gonna leave because it's a poor culture there's poor opportunity or they're not getting paid well enough so i'm always asking myself right is it a good culture are we having fun like is there opportunity for everyone to sort of grow and are they getting paid well right now and if those things are yeses it's pretty rare you lose you lose good people but in this whole it's just a like a, a money driven like crazy i guess environment that we're in and the market's going nuts we just go from like think, we don't think about that stuff because <laughs> it's just like how much work can we get done and then you get a call on a friday from one of you guys saying hey look we're going to go out and do it on our own or we're going to leave and you're left with your sort of in a really bad spot but you've got to be thinking about this if you've got a business like people don't just work for you just for money like it's very naive to think that that's the case like the reality is when you have a business and you operate you work for them <laughs> because you're the one that suffers if they leave, not them. So yes, you can tell them what time to turn up and, 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 and run the way it operates. But if they leave or they do something wrong and you're the one that suffers. So the way to make people want to do good for you is to be good and I guess be giving to them. So you need to sort of, to keep good people, especially right now, it needs to be a big focus point. Yeah. And it's, um, it's one that most of us don't ever think about until it's too late. Yeah, definitely. One of the, I just have this um, mental picture in my mind when I think about subbies pricing in the market. And to me, it's a little bit like a thermometer because we're setting the prices, aren't we? At the subby level, we're setting the prices that go to the builders, that go to the principals in the tender. And the principal has to go, is this job viable? Bank man, can you give me this much money? And of course, they'll borrow to the max. And then there's the bank's quantity surveyor that comes in and says, no, builder, you can only be paid so much of what you've built so far. And if you're in the ground, you actually haven't built anything. You've probably demolished some stuff, right? And so in terms of what your builder is getting, if you're pricing it tender, you guys, you subbies are setting the market price. And it just, it really worried me in terms of seeing that on that Queensland Carpenters page where there was such a variance but the common comment was this has always been the rate for I'm like who actually captures it at this has always been it's a, like it's a moving target yeah absolutely and look if if the rate that you need it to be doesn't exist and it's not out there then that's a like a business structure conversation that needs to be had because you do the same product for a more expensive price and someone else can get it the exact same quality and everything somewhere else, then that's a losing formula. No one's gonna give you something for free, but you can't go less than what it should be. And that's that's sort of the, the lesson from know what it has to be, which gives you strength to sort of hold your ground a little bit more. But the true solution, which I sort of referred to before is having the ability to say, I can't do it at that rate and I'll, I've got this as an option over here. That is the only solution to the problem because they're not gonna not stop asking you for your price to be better. And if you don't create that, you're in a bit of a position where that's when you have to go, well, I either just take the, the, the cut in rate just to keep things going, keep the guys busy and, and wait for a better thing to come around the corner. And that is just like, again, I don't use the word like naive, you know, in a, in a bad way, but we're sort of not doing anything to get good work, hoping it lands in front of us. We're not creating any ability to go in a different direction and we have to take what's given to us and expecting 
to finish the year and go, that was an awesome year. We won big time. It just doesn't happen. But the solution isn't difficult. It's just not what you think it is. The solution yeah. isn't having the ability to go back to the builder and say, I've got a witty comeback and now we're going to do it at 65 instead of 63 because I can say something awesome. <laughs> That's not it. It's having the ability to not have to say yes. Yeah. I just think that so many subbies would think, oh, it's too good to be true if I don't have to take on any more work and I can just keep working as uh, the same amount of hours in my businesses or less as I currently am, but I could make more profit. But until they sort of get that lens on their business and the way that they're doing things, they're never going to change their mindset or even see things from a different angle. And one of the classic examples of it, one of the last jobs that I did in Brisbane uh, before I left working for builders, it was, we had prices at tender for a particular trade. And when we went to let that trade, I called this guy in and he said to me, oh, we're well, going to need this, this, and this, and this, and this to be compliant. It was a safety component of the project. And I said to him, why did, well, your tender was non-conforming at, at tender? How, how are we ever going to build this job without that? And he said to me, well, you never would have interviewed me if I hadn't been this cheap. And I said to him, well, that just tells me that you have no idea what your price should be. And now what you've done is somebody's used your price at tender up in the estimating department. I've got to try and let the trade for this amount of money because that's my budget now. And every other trade on site is going to suffer because everyone's going to have to try and find efficiencies. Mm. And our program was up to shit because I had to find somebody else who could do this major critical path trade. It was just, you know, that's not to say that the builder had no responsibility whatsoever, but we know from the nature of the work that we do that builders are using your lump sum price in a tender scenario. And that's where the best qualifications that you can make are things like that. If you do end up winning that job, what makes you think you're going to be paid? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a, it's such a, simple you know logical thought that we're sort of talking about here but it's just really understanding like the damage you're doing to yourself when in that emotional driven moment of do i sack my guys because i've got no work or take a job and make no money or potentially go backwards or potentially just deal with it over six months and hopefully another job makes up for it or like that is just like it, you're really putting yourself and your family in a dangerous position because yeah. if a builder goes under because of how they're accepting prices and then can't pay you like there's depending on your situation, but you could follow suit, which then leads into your, like your, your family. And, and it's, it's just, it's a, it's a tough one to think, well, what's the other alternative, but the alternative is sort of what we'll say before. But if you haven't like taken that by the horns and really said, how do I actually do this? Like someone else is, and I'm not, and like genuinely put like energy towards understanding and fixing that problem you have to do that. Like you, you literally have no choice and it's not stressful and hard. It's just learning it and doing it. And I encourage business owners that come and sort of speak to us for the first time to stop being in business. If it's something that they don't think that they're going to genuinely sort of, I guess, address, because it's going to be a stressful and, and a tough, a tough thing to deal with. And if you're a good tradesman, you can make six figures work with someone else. Yeah. So you've got to really take it by the horns and, you know, when, when someone comes and sort of speaks to us and said, well, how could you help us? And, you know, how could I make more profit? And my answer to that is, I don't know. <laughs> I need to really sort of rip it apart and, and sit down with you. And, you know, if at the end of that, you can see, I guess, the value in what we're doing, we then go to work together. But 
if I can't help someone, I certainly won't start because that's like doing the same thing to me where I'm setting myself up. But if I can sort of put it in, in layman's terms, if if you're not tracking the hours that um, are produced by your guys in, in what they're doing against what you quoted and allowed for, if you're not tracking the material spend against what you allowed for, if you're not doing a forecast of, hey, we should be doing X turnover in the next 30 and 60 days, and if you don't have KPIs for your team to focus on what you needed, then there is no way that you wouldn't make more money out of what you're currently turning over if we fix those things. It's You will never convince me otherwise because it's just the case. And, you know, so it's not about doing more to create more profit. It's about not just working your ass off and trying to do the right thing and and, and doing it and operating in that manner. It's, it's There's clear principles that you can, um, you can certainly put in place to, to tighten things up. Yeah. No, music to my ears. Uh, so I suppose a lot of your clients come along and they change the way they see things pretty quickly. How long in your experience does it take for people to start seeing proper results from this type of coaching? Look, at, I guess everyone's got a different definition of results. Um, for us, in the first uh, three months, if, our, if their net profit hasn't increased to cover our fee, we, we give the money back. So it's at least to cover our costs. But Honestly, it's within like weeks because as a general basic one, if you don't know exactly what each employee costs you, like to the set, other than, oh, look, it's some, they're 30 bucks and there's some super workers comp and bits and bobs, then you like just in that itself will have an immediate financial impact. But there's, it's it, within the first month, you will notice every single time a tightness in, in how the business operates, which in turn has a tightness in how much the uh, money we retain. And um, it's, it's not that it's, it's really how quickly do, do each individual want to run because we've got the solutions and the know-how and the tools. It's just how much do you want to run with it and, and how quickly do you want to go? So um, well and truly in the first month, you'll, um, you'll, you'll see the, see the impact. Yeah. It's amazing because uh one of my earlier podcasts, I interviewed a subby whose business went broke. And I remember, you know, I was hanging out with the guy at the time that this was all going down and sort of assisting where possible and whatnot. And he was, he was getting coaching. He was making more profit per, per revenue turnover than he had ever made in 20 years of business. And he was winning better jobs and, had this absolute humming team they had no defects compared to like the history of defective work that they were just hemorrhaging money going back in and rectifying defects got his team into this swing of this business and he was just so devastated I remember him saying to me we've never been making more profit than we have today but the snowball is so big that we can just never pay this off I just can't believe that in these circumstances we're going to go into liquidation I just, I remember when he actually told me what was going to happen and it was just devastating. This guy couldn't, can't hold a license to go and do anything for a period of time and yeah. is in, you know, tradey purgatory until somebody will yeah. let him go and work for them again. It just is so disheartening because I know as tradespeople, when you, you know, come out the back of you you're an apprentice and you get, you know, a bit bigger and a bit bigger and a bit bigger. No one teaches you this business stuff. And so it is really intuitive to just go, no, I'll be grateful for this extra contract and I'll be grateful for the more work. And, you know, maybe I'll trim a bit off my hourly rate so I can go and do more. And if I'm busier, I'm making more. Uh, it's just 
probably reverse psychology, isn't it? So I suppose if we were going to drill down on giving our listeners two really hot tips on sort of what could they do today to make more profit in their business? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a common one we get, to be honest. Um, the low-hanging fruit is in the finer detail. And by that, I mean, um, and I referred to it earlier, if you want to uh, create $2 million of turnover, and that's the goal. Most people have that in their head of, if I can get around there, that'll be awesome. But you need to work that all the way back to what output is required. So by that, I mean, if out of $2 million, you hang on to 20%, so you've got 400,000. And then out of that, you've got 250,000 of overheads. So you've got 150 grand left. You need to now work out, okay, is that number okay at a high level? But then from there, it's a to win $2 million of work, how many tenders, quotes, or proposals do I need to produce? And that is not a guessed number. It's a factual tract. It's based on the historic data in your business and across the market. So if I know, again, that 10% of, um, of uh, tenders or proposals is going to win, then I know that I need to do $20 million of of tenders to win 2 million bucks worth of work. So then quite simply 20 million in a, in a year and put that into months, you've got $1.66 million every month of tenders. And that is a factual output. You need to produce that because if you track it and you realize, hang on, I only did a million, then you, you literally have no chance of producing your, your target. So the first thing that we want to look at is there's so much data of what you need to be producing that you need to be aware of and once you know it you know it and further to that is how many leads or inquiries you need to produce that many that many proposals so if you get four leads and then one chance to do a proposal you can work out so if one in four become an actual proposal and i need to do um, 20 again it's it's just the multiple so i need to produce say 200 leads and so it, it's just a like you need to start there so that alone, when you start to measure something, we honestly see between five and 10% of a net profit increase to businesses just by tracking. Because what gets measured gets improved. It's just absolutely true. Yeah. So, so that's where the low hanging fruit always sits. The second part, which I put huge, huge reference on and I, and I try to push quite strongly, is just your ability to find, train and recruit good people. Now, if your process for finding good people is chuck it out on seek, meet them once, give them a crack, see how it goes, <laughs> like that, and we're, and we're expecting a superstar, like it's not gonna happen. You need to have a process to actually identify, train, have a look at them if they're a good, a good fit, deeper than just call up a reference that's probably their best mate anyway. And, and then once you've got good people, how do you create a, an environment where they turn up and like actively want to win for you? That is not, and, it, and it's, it's a tough one because most subbies or builders, it's a fluffy comment or a fluffy topic, but nothing is fluffy about needing to have a good operating team, which is the only thing that is going to get you to where you want your business to be. Mm. So how you create and drive a good environment where they want to be there, they want to win with you, and they want to see themselves grow with you is everything. If you don't have that, you can have all the systems, all the fancy gizmos and gadgets in the world. But if those operating them aren't there to win for you, like you're not going to win. You're probably going to fail. And an interesting stat is that around 60% of employees 
are actively disengaged, which means they're pretty much checking Seek and Facebook on your time. Wow. So that just scares me. So the the percentage of those that are actively engaged and wanting to win for you is about 15%. And you don't even see it because they don't do it in front of you. So you need to create a high-performing culture. And high-performing isn't this like big thing that's any deeper than just they want to be there and they want to push and do well with you and for you. And you need to put serious energy into that because you're not going to grow anything or create anything sustainable without good people. Yeah, sure. So I suppose um, to put my little spin on it, I always think it's all well and good to get the revenue and to carry out the work for value, but how the hell do you get the money in your bank account and the builders holding onto it as hard as they bloody can? And for me, I think if there's two things that you can do to actually realise that cash, because there's, there's three sort of stages to it that are sort of becoming more and more apparent to me. And there's that you give the invoice. So you've done the work, you carried out the work, you gave the invoice. But then there's the getting the money in your bank account is the next hurdle. Yeah. But then there's staying paid. And I've just been through a whole series of podcasts about builder insolvency and staying paid. So this is all sort of in everyone's mind. But if you can get them to the point where they're invoicing that much money, when I can get them to a point where they're bringing in into their bank account that much money, and then they can have the belts and braces in their systems to make sure that they stay paid, I think that's where, you know, you can do all the forecasting in the world, but unless you can actually safeguard that money, that's the only way to do it, right? But when you're not reading contracts, and you're so excited to be signing more contracts that you will just, you, there's no way you're going to say no. And I have people come to me who say, Michelle, I don't care what you tell me to do. I'm going to sign this contract. And so I say to them, look, okay, I acknowledge that, but let's look at ways that you can administer around the risk once you do sign the bloody thing. Uh, because it's almost like that hierarchy of controls in safety, right? Where you've got that elimination, uh, engineering, substitution, administration, same thing for contracts. Eliminate the clause, the bad clause, if you can. But if it's something nasty in a variation clause, you can't cross the whole bloody thing out because then you won't get any varies. So you really need to know how you are negotiating and making amendments to those contracts. So step number one is reading, understanding your contracts. And if you don't know how to do it yourself, outsource it to someone who does. It doesn't have to be me can be a construction lawyer, please go to a construction lawyer or a contracts professional uh, because if you try and do it yourself and you don't know what you're doing, you may overlook some really important stuff. But the other thing is having a systematic approach to actually being paid. And nine times out of 10 when people come to me, they haven't got a valid payment claim or they didn't have a reference date or they didn't sign a contract at all and they have no idea who's Arthur and who's Martha. And if you can just belt some braces down your systems and your admin around your contracting practices, you'll be empowered by it because you'll feel like, yeah, we can do this. We can go and take on more work. We can grow. We can be strong. We're not going to be a tall poppy. And this guy's not going to get one over on us. Um, when you mentioned before, I had a little cringe about when you said, you know, you can um, be a sweet talker and be really good at negotiation. And I'm thinking, you know what? The first rule of negotiation is you need to be willing to walk away. And that's the very first step in a successful negotiation because by the time you've got your cards on the table in terms of you've done your quote, you've given your bill your price, this is what you're promising to do for him, it all comes down to whether or not he wants you to do it on his terms. 
And so, yeah, tough gig, um, tough gig for tradies out there who are trying to juggle all of these plates. One of the things I'm constantly saying to people is, are you paying an accountant to do your tax or are you having a crack at that as well? You know, do you cut your own hair? Like that. Yeah, because where we specialise in these areas, we're so efficient at it. But don't bloody ask me to build something. If you give me a tool, I'm probably going to put a hole in my hand or something like that. There's a very good reason I'm not allowed in the shed. So, um, but look, I'm really grateful for your time, Adam. It's been absolutely amazing to see like the science behind coaching because I wish they'd call it something other than coaching. I know, but, me too. Yeah. <laughs> but everything else seems just as bad, like business advisory consultant or like it just all sounds terrible <laughs> I, yeah, like to or, say, I like to say right hand man is it's almost like how they just choose what titles to give their employees these days so you could just be like a a construction industry generalist yeah. <laughs> look i just it's we just try to be the ones that you come to for anything that could be done better in a business and if we can help then we keep working together if we can't we'll try to point you to someone that certainly can but like you said, there's, if there's an option to have something, you know, fail and it's okay, then that's all right. You know, it's just part of business. But if there's something that could be done better or damage you in the future and you choose to not go on the path to actually get on top of those things, then you sort of should be thinking now that I am going to one day hurt and suffer for that. And that impact is so much greater than like a, I guess, embarking on a, hey, I need to do things better and make sure I'm, I'm protected and I've got the right processes. And, and it's a, it's part of having a business. It's a different trade. And, um, but the upside is the answers are certainly there. Yeah, for sure. So thank you for I, having us. No, well, I'll tell you what, you wouldn't catch me being a bloody builder or a tradie because there's far too much risk in that. And okay. absolutely impossible when we buy a car or a house or anything as well. And my husband said to me the other day, do you really want to build something? Do you really think that you could read the builder's contract and still sign it? And I just went, you know what? You're right. Let's buy something that someone else has already built. Because it's just, um, it's a bit like that. I don't envy our listeners in that position because you really do want to have a business. But uh, yeah, it's a reality of the way things are. So anyway, I will let you sign off. Uh, thank you again. If anyone would like to contact Adam, I'm going to have the, your notes, uh, your details and the notes to this podcast in the section on your phone when you go to listen to it. So go in there, read the notes. We'll have Adam's details. It's Adam from Tactics Coaching. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Now that concludes our episode for this week of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. If you would like to contact me about anything that we've discussed in this uh, episode, you can contact me by email at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au Alternatively, you can contact me via my website at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Uh, you will be able to find the details for Adam Barnard of Tactics Business Coaching in the notes of this podcast. Alternatively, drop me a line and I can put you in contact. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend and I look forward to next week's episode with you again.